Then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation. And in him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom while Abraham was still standing there before the Lord. Abraham came near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham replied, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose 50 are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. He spoke to him yet again and said, suppose 40 are there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the 40. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry. And shall I speak? Suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 20. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry. And I shall speak once, only this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. As soon as he has finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed. And Abraham returned to his place. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our great and gracious Father, we come before you in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and in the power and strength of your Spirit. And we do pray that... As your word is spoken into our hearing this morning, that our ears would not be stopped up, that we would not grow deaf, that we would not resist the word of the Lord, but that we would hear and we would hear because you would give us ears to hear. That as your word goes forth this morning, Lord, we would not distort truth for we are prone to distort truth, Lord, but we would hear clearly and understand by your spirit what thus saith the Lord. And God, that our hearts, though our hearts be turned every which direction, though our hearts be torn at times from loving you and loving this world, that we would, by your spirit, be given the strength to hear your word, understand it, love it with all of our heart and seek to obey it. Lord, we pray this and I do pray that you would help me to decrease for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated.
last we gather to consider the book of Genesis, we examined and considered the first half of the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis, wherein Abraham was uniquely visited by Yahweh, the covenant Lord, who was attended by two angels. We saw the heart of this man of faith, Abraham, who James will later call the friend of God, as he runs quickly back and forth, here and there, to and fro, making preparations to serve these three mysterious at first visitors. The hospitality of Abraham revealed, as we learned last week, the greater virtue, the greater virtue, and that is that in all that Abraham did, he did for the pleasure and for the glory of God. That's the greater virtue. Greater than the virtue, and it is one, of hospitality. That in all that Abraham did, he did for the pleasure and for the glory of God. And therefore, he was ready for the day of the Lord's visitation. And last week, we we lamented, oh, that we too would live in such a way that in everything we did, whether in eating or in drinking, in our speech and in our actions, in our thoughts, the thoughts of our minds and in the meditations and desires of our hearts, that the whole of our lives were lived in such a way that they would be an offering of praise unto the Lord. And let me remind you again, and let me also remind myself that we should pray. Pray that God make us more mindful to live that kind of way. That we be unashamed on the day of the Lord's visitation. And that our lamps remain filled with oil. So that on the day when the Lord comes, he would find us ready for his visitation. The Lord eats this covenantal meal as he confirms his promise to Abraham, saying, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. At the sound of the Lord's promise, Sarah, who was in the tent behind the the men who were gathering to eat, she laughed to herself in unbelief, in disbelief at the promise of God. That a 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man could ever give birth to a child. Her laughter was revealed, and it was revealed by by the Lord. The one who had come come to visit these three visitors, the Lord reveals her laughter. He reveals her laughter. He reveals and confronts the doubt and unbelief that she had been secretly harboring in her heart. All of these years, all of these 90 years, uh, and, and since she had been called out of Ur, the Chaldeans, really all of these 25 years, she'd been harboring unbelief in her heart. The Lord rebuked Sarah with the most poignant of questions. And here it is. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything? anything too hard for the Lord. Sarah was laughing at God's promise that God could bring from a dead womb a child. 
when he is the one who spoke the, the all of existence into existence with the word of his mouth, let there be. And she is questioning. She was questioning his ability to do this when he has done everything that surrounds her. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And Sarah's laughter caused us to, to I pray, take a look at ourselves. What has God said? Now, this is important. What has God said? Pause. What has God said that we are laughing at in disbelief? Not what do we want. What has God said? That we be laughing, that we may be laughing at in disbelief. Because of our hard hearts, because of our unwillingness to believe. And for many, and for most who laugh at what God has said. Because our still walking about in darkness. Has God said it? Then in spite of all of the barriers that seem to be handcuffing God and his promises, let this one fact be absolutely clear. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. Again, let me reiterate, if God has said it, and in my notes I have it in italics and bold, if God has said it, there is nothing too hard for the Lord to perform. Do you want your loved one to be saved? There is a promise, and here it is. Not because you want them to be saved. But if they repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they too will be saved. They will not be saved just because you and I want them to, although it should be our greatest and earnest prayer that they do be saved, that they are saved. But in order for them to be saved, they must repent of their sins and trust in Christ alone for their salvation. And if this be within the sovereign will of our God to bring them out of darkness and into his light, there is not a demon in hell that will deter the will of God. Has God said it, then believe that God will bring it to pass. The Lord God has come so that he might visit his friend Abraham. That the covenantal meal that has been prepared might be shared with his friend. And that he might draw Sarah out of the darkness of unbelief and into the light of saving faith. But those were not the only reasons why the Lord has, as it were, come down. As we continue with this 18th chapter, we shall discover two more reasons why the Lord has come down. And with the Lord's help, we shall consider two points this morning. Number one, Abraham, the prophet. Number one, Abraham, the prophet. This is verses 16 through 19. The three have risen from that covenantal meal. And if you can imagine, they have uh, had a great spread of food before them. And they have now risen from that meal, from that covenantal meal. And the scriptures are very clear about this. They have set their eye upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is very clear i think and also it's it's a vivid picture of what god has intended to do in his coming down the bible says these three men have risen and they have then set their eye on the cities of sodom and gomorrah we know because we have god's full revelation of what they are setting their eye to do but they have come 
As far as Abraham knows, these are just three visitors. They have come, and as they have come, they have uh, finished the meal, and then they've turned their eyes, attention now to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. We know so that judgment might be executed upon those cities. But as they walked, Abraham walked with them toward those cities. Abraham is being a hospitable host, as it was. Uh, for those of us who, who know, usually when we leave someone's home, they don't say goodbye from the door, usually. But they will walk you all the way to your car and all the way so you see him in the rearview mirror still saying goodbye for some. And that's gracious. Abraham has accompanied his guest. And he is seeing them off. And as they walk together, the Lord, Yahweh, he appears to ask a question. He says in verse 17, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great nation great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We know, again, because we have full revelation of God's word, one of the reasons why the Lord has come down was not only to fellowship with his friend Abraham, to confirm his covenant promises, which he repeats again for the sake of Abraham, he will become a great nation. Uh, All nations of the earth will be blessed through him. As God is walking with Abraham, It is as though the gospel promise of Genesis 3.15, there will come a seed through the woman who will bless all the nations that will uh, save people from the curse of Adam. It is as if the Lord God is reminding Abraham one more time, keep this promise in front of your eyes. I won't see you or hear. You won't hear from me for another year. Press on. Here is the gospel of promise, Abraham. Once again, press on. Keep on trusting. Keep on serving. Keep walking blameless before God. And do so because the gospel is ever before you. The good news is ever before you. Don't lose sight of this. And in a world where we do not have visitations like Abraham is having visitations... In a world that is constantly distracting us from the gospel. In a world that is constantly pulling us. Listen, even in churches where we are constantly being distracted from the gospel. The Lord God is saying to Abraham, keep this. This is most important. Keep this in front of your eyes. Don't let all of the other, uh, my father used to say, rigmarole. Don't let all of the other things distract you from this. Press on. Press On there will come a seed who will bless the nations. He is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is, again, one last encouragement from the Lord. And we could ask now the same question that we asked from our last sermon. Why has the Lord come down? Remember, the events that are taking place in this chapter and in the chapter next, uh, the the 19th chapter, They're all taking place on the same day. The same day into the next, if you will. Possibly. These are not taking place, these events that we're reading of. Although it seems like much is going on. We're we're spending, it will be three sermons, maybe four sermons on one and a half day. This is not a span of years. So then why has the Lord come on this day? What was the the sense of urgency on this day? 
The Lord has come. He shared this covenantal meal, remember? He's confronted Sarah's unbelief. He's convicted her to sin. He's drawn her to himself to saving faith. But those were not the only reasons why the Lord has come. The Lord has not only come so that he might disclose what he is going to do with Abraham and Sarah, but he has also come so that he might disclose what he is going to do with the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Pause now. We know this because we have this. Abraham does not know this. I cannot stress this enough. We know that the Lord has come to execute judgment on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Their wickedness and destruction has gone down into the annals of history as being historical. When we, when we hear of Sodom and Gomorrah, we automatically, whether you are a believer or unbeliever, we know wickedness and destruction from God. We know this. But Abraham is simply walking with the Lord. And as he is walking with the Lord, wholeheartedly, devotedly, the Lord is incrementally, little by little, step by faithful step, revealing his plans to his friend, Abraham. Abraham, the man of faith. The man who believes God's word, even though he often does not know where God is leading him or what God will do next. He is walking with God. And as he walks with God, the Lord appears, and I keep saying appears, to be asking a question. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Was the Lord uncertain? Was the Lord thinking, I don't know if I can trust Abraham with this information. Was the Lord processing or weighing out the benefits of sharing information with Abraham or not sharing information with Abraham? Was he unsure? No. No, brothers and sisters, the Lord is never unsure. Praise be to God, he's not like you and I. The Lord is never uncertain. Praise be to God, he is not a creature like you and I. The Lord God is never processing or weighing out his options like you and I. Praise God, he is not like you and I. The question was not for the sake of God. The question was for the sake of Abraham. It was, if you will, a rhetorical question. Rhetorical questions are questions that we know the answer to. But we ask them, not for our sake, oftentimes for the sake of others. Throughout this chapter, the Lord speaks in a very human-like manner, doesn't he? Brothers and sisters, don't be perplexed by that kind of thought. We have learned that in the past, this is yet another example of God communicating to man in ways that man can understand. It It is, as it were... The Lord stooping down as if he were speaking to a child and speaking to his children in ways that his children can understand for the benefit of his children. Because if the Lord should speak in ways that the Lord 
normally speaks within that triune perichoresis, we would ever and nonstop be confused. He says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Here's the answer to that question that God asked. The answer is no, I will not. The Lord will not hide from Abraham the judgment that is about to be executed on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, here's what you have to ask. Why will God not hide this information from Abraham? If you're reading the text, you should be asking questions as questions are being answered or being asked. The Lord is asking, should I hide this? And the Lord is saying, I will not. We need to ask, why not? Why will you not hide this information? Because of two reasons. First, because of the covenant between the Lord and Abraham, which we have discussed at great length, right? And secondly, because God has chosen Abraham to be a prophet to his nation. How? How has God chosen Abraham to be a prophet? Verse 19. I have chosen him, he says. Now here's how. Chosen him for what? So that he may command his children, his household, after him, to keep the way of the Lord. Now listen to this. What is the way of the Lord? By doing righteousness. And justice. Why? So that the Lord may bring up upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. For those who are wondering about the Abrahamic covenant. There is yet more of the covenant revealed here. Abraham, here is your part of the covenant. Command your children and your household to keep the way of the Lord. And what is the way of the Lord? Listen to what it is. It is righteousness and justice. The Lord chose Abraham to be a prophet. When we come to the 20th chapter, we find that Abimelech, the Lord comes to Abimelech in a dream, rebukes Abimelech for his sin and says, you are sinning against Abraham and I have chosen him to be a prophet. He is uniquely chosen by God to instruct his children and his household, which would become the nation of Israel concerning the commands of God, concerning the way of the Lord. And, and the Lord uses these two unique words. Righteousness. And justice. Abraham was to instruct his family and the nation of Israel. That would become Israel. In righteousness and justice of God. Now think about this. Why those two words? Why righteousness? Why justice? And listen, and why now? Why righteousness? Why justice? Why now? Because the Lord was preparing to give Abraham an illustrative lesson on what it means to display righteousness and justice. There's a trend, and it has been a trend over the past maybe 15 to 20 years of doing illustrative sermons. I saw a false teacher in order to 
display and illustrative sermon say to one of his uh, ushers, bring me my water gun. So the usher comes and brings him the water gun. And he begins to display to the congregation what it looked like for Abraham or for Moses to uh, spray something upon the children of Israel. The congregation loved it. It was very entertaining. They used the water gun. I got wet today. The water's going to come off. But we laugh because we like those. Well, hopefully we laugh because it's ridiculous. And secondly, we, we, we know that we often laugh because it would be entertaining. Well, the Lord was preparing to display to Abraham what righteousness and justice really is. As we know, he is about to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because God is righteous and God is just. And Abraham would see firsthand that God is not to be trifled with. That God because he is righteous, because he is just, is not to be played with. The Lord has commanded Abraham to instruct his children. Teach your children this. What is that, Lord? I'll show you. Teach your children to teach their children this. What is that, Lord? I will show you. As he turns his eye towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham, you want to know what it is for the Lord to display righteousness and justice. Abraham, pass on this lesson as I turn my eyes toward Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't ever forget this. Abraham would learn firsthand a lesson that he would never forget. One that would be taught even to this day. That the Lord of creation is a righteous and just God and those who oppose him will suffer judgment. The Lord's judgment will serve as motivation for Abraham to call all. If you can imagine, if if there is one thing that would cause someone to say, I've got to warn everyone that I love and everyone that I know that God is a righteous and just God and I've seen it with my own eyes. If there is ever a, a moment or a lesson that everyone, that anyone would have ever learned that would have caused them to be inflamed with passing that lesson on. It would have been Abraham's witnessing of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah from his place. He sees what we, when we will see a heap of ashes in the distance and he will know God is righteous and God is just. And he will bring his little children. He will bring Isaac. He will bring Ishmael. And he will bring those to come after them and sit them down and say, listen to me. Listen to my words. God is righteous and God is just. And you must worship him or you will be judged. (sighs) Those who refuse to bow their knee will be judged before God. This is not an Old Testament God. This is the God of old and new. The Lord welcomes, as it were, Abraham into his confidence. He treats Abraham as one of the prophets who will not, he will not withhold his secrets from. He will reveal all of the plans of God. Why? Why does God reveal what he is about to do with Abraham? And he tells us so that Abraham might make that word known to everyone who has ears to hear. This is the Lord our God. Hear him. Obey him. 
Believe in him. That's what he was to do with that information. Run to his family. Run to his neighbors. Run to every mountain, hill, and valley and proclaim the righteousness and the justice of God. Praise be to God, though, that God's word is no longer exclusive only to the prophets. The Lord has not reserved his will only to those prophets of old. But God has now spoken to us through his son. And we have full revelation of God's word contained within the scriptures. If we have come to trust in Christ and Christ alone, then we too have been called the friend of God. And this morning, I am serving as a prophet of God, if you will, proclaiming God's word to you. That you may know his will as it is revealed to us in his word. And who who must we take that word to? First, bring it to your home. Bring it to your home. Sit your children down. Whether they be young or old. Evangelize them first. Call them to repent of their sin. Call them to trust in Christ Jesus. For God is righteous. And he will judge the wicked. And then you men. Take it to your wives. Lord willing they are believers. And if they are not, disciple them. Call them to repent and trust in Christ. And if they are believers, walk with them through the word of God. Walk with them through what it means to follow Christ. Walk with them through what it means to be a part of his church. Walk with them through the means of grace that God gives to his church. Walk with them through how we must share the gospel with others. And if wives, your husbands are not believers. Oh, then be an odor and aroma of love and righteousness in your homes. Show by the very way that you love your husband that you love a greater husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that they will one day bow their knee to him, Lord willing, because of a changed heart. But even if their hearts are full of stone, they will bow their knee. But in the meantime, be a great loving witness to them. Call them by your love to trust in the one, the only one who can save them. Let us all who trust in Christ be examples of those who have died and been found in Christ so that we may be a witness that God is righteous and he is just. He has entrusted you and I with his word. Let us not be slothful in what has been given and trusted to us. And let us also not be ashamed. Let us not be embarrassed by passages like what we will read in the next chapter of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because the Bible is unabashedly, unabashedly honest about its proclamation of the judgment of the wicked unashamed the Bible is. This is what God's word teaches. I am ashamed of these so-called men who hold God's word and go on, on shows like Oprah, who go on shows like the Ben Shapiro show, who go on shows uh, where they have a national audience 
And they shrink back from what God has said. I doubt that I'll ever be interviewed on a national audience for this very reason. But when you are given the stage, when you are given a platform, don't be ashamed. Why? Because the Bible is unashamed. And it is an unashamed proclamation that has stood over 4,000 years and 6,000, some 6,000 since the creation of time. Not 6 million, but some 6,000 since the creation of time. When you are confronted, when it comes, when we hear of the calamities that take place, don't shrink back. God has done this. We'll talk more about that in the next chapter. And he's doing so. And entrusting us with that message so that we may be faithful proclaimers of what God, who God is and what God is doing. Number two. Abraham, the prophet, number two, Abraham, the intercessor. Abraham, number one, the prophet, Abraham, number two, the intercessor. This is verses 20 through 23 or through 33. The Lord shares with Abraham, the prophet, his plans for judgment upon the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He says in verse 20. And the Lord said, the the outcry, if you have a Bible, Or if you'd like to take notes, that's a very important word. The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great. And their sin is exceedingly grave. The Lord says, I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. There is an outcry, the Lord says. It is like the outcry from Abel's blood in the fourth chapter of Genesis that called out to God, crying out for God to execute his righteousness and his justice throughout the earth. And so similarly, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah has so polluted the very world order That it appears that the very world order has cried out to God for justice. Oh God, how long are you going to tolerate this indignity? Man has so flaunted their rebellion against your creative order. Oh God, how long? And may I say to you, brothers and sisters, lest we believe that the days of Sodom were any more wicked than the days that we live in today, the Apostle Paul proclaims in Romans chapter 8, all creation groans. Some 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul proclaimed all creation groans, and that groaning, that wailing is becoming increasingly louder and louder as the day of the Lord draws near. The world has been subjected to futility, to bondage, to decay. Brothers and sisters, we do not live in better days. And just as surely as the Lord came in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah to execute justice, so too he will come again and execute justice once and for all 
once and for all. And again, the Lord speaks in human-like ways. He says, I will go down and I will see and I will know. Is not the Lord God everywhere? Does he not see all things? And does he not know all things? Yes. So then why has the Lord spoken in such a way? If he knows all things, sees all things, and is at all times in all places, why has he spoken in such a way? The Lord has spoken in such a way so that man, again, who is feeble, man, again, who is prone to misunderstand, so that man might be able to somewhat grasp in some way what the Lord has determined to do. The the very uh, language of this text is speaking to us in ways that we might understand God will see. God has known. God will execute justice. And it's also a very legal way of speaking, is it not? God is saying, I will go down. I will investigate. And if it is as wicked as it seems, I will execute judgment. The scene then begins to change. Verse 22, the men turn away from that meeting there. That that question that the Lord has answered. If you can imagine, they're walking together. And as they're walking together, that question is being asked. And it's also being answered by the Lord. And as the Lord sends these two men away. These two men, the men, turn away from there and went towards Sodom while Abraham, now listen to what it says, was still standing before the Lord. The Lord has said, I am going to judge these cities. The two angels who have attended the Lord have gone to do the Lord's work. And while they are going, The Lord is standing there. And if you can imagine this in your mind's eye, the two angels who have thus far been attending the Lord, they have gone off to the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, the prophet, the friend of God, is standing before the Lord. It is a picture of the whole of Abraham's life after conversion. He was a man that resolutely determined to be ever standing before the Lord. He was a man that resolutely determined to have his heart, to have his mind laid bare before the Lord God Almighty for holy examination. The one who stands before the Lord. And as he is standing before the Lord, the scripture, listen to what, look at what your Bible says, ever so suddenly describes this man as who is standing before the Lord, then coming near to the Lord. You see that? He is standing before the Lord. And he knows this is the Lord. He now knows the the visitor who he had just seen as one who should be greatly honored is actually Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty. And he is now standing alone before God. Oh God, and I could imagine for myself, what would I do? What would be my posture if the Lord God Almighty was, he was there and I was here. What would I do? And and for many of us, we might say, I would run. I would hide. Abraham draws near. Abraham draws near. 
the plans of the Lord have been revealed to Abraham. And it was for this purpose. The Lord God has said, should I reveal the plans that I have for these wicked cities? Should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? And the answer is yes. Why? Because Abraham will have the right response. And what is that response? In hearing that these cities are going to be destroyed. Abraham does not say, get them. They deserve it. They deserve it. Which was the response of many. When 9-11 happened. Which is the response of many. When earthquakes destroy thousands upon thousands in Asian countries. When waters rise high in Texas and sweep away. The multitudes. For many, their response is not to draw near to God. Their response is to applaud. Just as those wicked Pharisees and Sadducees did upon seeing Christ on the cross. The Lord has revealed his plans to Abraham because he knows that Abraham's heartbeat is the heartbeat of the Lord. And that Abraham's response will be the right response. Abraham knows the wickedness of those cities. Abraham's not unaware that Sodom is a wicked place. Abraham is not uh, unaware that, that Gomorrah is a wicked city. And now he knows that they are doomed for destruction because of their wickedness. Now, lest we over-spiritualize this, Abraham is greatly concerned. Why is Abraham so concerned? For in one of those two cities that would be destroyed, there lives one whom he loves like a son. And his name is Lot. Lot has gone from living in the direction of Sodom to living near Sodom to then living in Sodom. And when we come to, I think, the 19th chapter, he's sitting at the gate of Sodom as one of the leaders of Sodom. Abraham knows where his his nephew is. And the Lord discloses this divine plan to destroy these cities. And Abraham is overwhelmed with a sense of urgency. My nephew lives there. His family lives there. And so he draws close to the Lord in urgency, but also in humility. His response again was not to rejoice at the doom, but it was to draw near to the righteous and intercede on behalf of the righteous in verses uh, 23 to 2. What is it? And onward. Abraham begins to plead with the Lord. He pleads for the righteous. Lord, save the righteous. You would not treat the righteous the same as the wicked, would you? You would not destroy the righteous who are in the city along with the wicked, would you? Far be it from you, Lord. No, this is not your character, God. Will not the judge of the earth do right? (laughs) 
There are many scriptures that are remembered, even tattooed on our bodies. But let this be one that's tattooed onto your mind and onto your heart. Because when seemingly unjust things happen in our lives, we must remember the perfection of God and that he always does right. He always does what is right. May not seem fair. It may not make sense. But we live in a fallen world. We live in a sin-sick world. And though God is creator, judge, and sovereign over all things, there will be times when, and I think we cannot count them on our hands, when we would say, life, therefore God has dealt me an unjust hand. And Abraham's response is, no. The Lord always, always, always does what is right. It may not seem right at the moment and maybe not even in this life until we reach glory will we may we may not understand how right that plan of God was. But as Abraham is praying for the righteous as God has decreed he at the same time also praying for the wicked without even having to mention their name. Why? Why would you treat, Lord, the righteous and the wicked the same? You can't treat them the same. Please preserve these righteous. Would you, he says, destroy the city, which includes wicked and righteous, even if there are 50 righteous people there. And the Lord says, I will not destroy it if there are 50 righteous people there. The 50 righteous are saving the rest of the wicked. Do you hear that? Because of the righteousness of the righteous, the wicked are being preserved because God will not treat the righteous and the wicked the same. He will preserve the righteous if there are 50. These were infamous cities, not fame, infamous cities, wicked cities. They did, as we will learn in the next chapter, vile, vile things. And Abraham intercedes for them. On six different occasions. He cries out to mercy for God. He cries out upon the the righteousness of God. And the wicked will reap the benefits given to the righteous on six different occasions. What if there's 50? What if there's 45? What if there's 40 and so on and so on? In each case, he's becoming more and more aware of just how city or how wicked this city is. Listen, because there were not even so much as 10 righteous in the city. God says, I'll destroy it if there's if there's not 50. But the angels are still going. God says, I'll just, I, or I won't destroy it. I won't destroy it if there are 50. They're still going. I won't destroy it if, if and Abraham may, may be looking at the angels, hoping they would stop in their tracks and say, all right, I got the message. They keep walking. 45, there's not. They're still going. 40, there's not. They're still going. All the way to 10, there is not. They are still going. And Abraham, I can just see him. Please stop, 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 stop. 
What if, what if there are 10? What if there are 10? There are not. Not even 10. In the entire cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's not a bargain. Abraham is not bargaining with the Lord. Let us not bargain with the Lord. If I do this, will you do that? Okay, God, I'll stop doing this if you only do that. Lord, if you give me this, then I'll stop doing that. We, we do not bargain with God. He's not to be bartered with. He's exploring God's will. He, his plea functions as prayers that are exploring God's will. It is intense. And I imagine his, he's asking questions. He's not making statements. God, is it, 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 is it your will to save that city if there are 40 righteous there? And God is agreeing. Yes, it is. God, is it your will to save the, the city if there are 40 wicked, if there are 40 righteous there? Yes, it is. God, is it your will? And he's still going. Little by little. And my heart was broken as I read these, these verses. Because the thing that was so, that thing that is so characteristic of Abraham's life, I'll just start with me. It's so uncharacteristic about my life. Because in my life, there is so little real pleading with God for a lost and sinful dying world. I'm speaking about me. I don't know about you. In my life, there is so little pleading with God. I, I don't come back to the Lord six times on six occasions like Abraham did. Pleading for God to give mercy. Pleading for God to give salvation. When was the last time you and I pleaded with the Lord to show mercy? Pleaded with the Lord to save undeserved sinners. Pleaded with the Lord to give grace. Pleaded with the Lord to give mercy to undeserved sinners. When was the last time that you and I wept or, or, or had that sense of urgency as Abraham did. Wept over the wicked who refused to trust in Christ. When was the last time you and I wept as Christ wept over Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You are unwilling, he says. When was the last time that I and we Spent even one occasion on our knees or prostrate before God, let alone six occasions. Praying to God that he might save, not by the ones and not by the twos, but by the multitudes. Have we obeyed the command of Christ in Matthew 9, 38? To pray to the Lord of the harvest. To send workers for the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, the workers are so few. My dear brothers, my heart, my dear sisters, my heart has been convicted. 
for my own lack of concern. My own lack of pleading. My own lack of intercessing. Interceding for the wicked. And my prayer was this, Lord. Let not my conviction be brief. Or only for this sermon alone. Let us ask the Lord. If we're going to plead for anything. Let's start with the plea that the Lord would give us a fervent prayer for the wicked. That the Lord would give us a fervent prayer that the righteous would be uh, saved from this wicked earth. Abraham humbly and yet boldly returns to the Lord six different occasions asking Lord to save the righteous. And on what basis does he have the right to speak to God in such a way? He tells us, he says, Because he is but dust and ashes. On what basis does he come to the Lord? On the basis that he is dust and ashes. He does not say, I'm a righteous man before you, Lord. God, I'm your friend. God, I've been serving you all of these years. I've been preaching the gospel all of these years. You're going to listen to my prayer, aren't you? Man, God is no respecter of person. The man who is interceding for a city that will soon become dust and ashes calls out to God because he knows he is but dust and ashes. What made Paul? What made Paul say that he wished that he could take the place of his kinsmen? kinsmen in the flesh who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. What made him have such a desire to take their place? It was that he too, by his own admission, was the chief of sinners. And he had understood that he undeservedly, he undeservedly received mercy. He understood what he was before God, dust and ash, a pardoned sinner. And he came to God. With the same humble plea that is this. Oh God have mercy. God have mercy. Show to to them the same mercy that you've shown to me. We all know this is within the, the will of God. But that does not mean that we should not cry out. Abraham is exploring God's will. And as he's doing he's crying out. God would you save them? Is it within your plan? And no one can pray like this unless they're prepared to live like this. The man or woman who is prepared, again, is standing before God. The man or woman who is prepared to stand before God cannot help but develop the same heartbeat, the same rhythm of, of heart as God. And what is the rhythm of God's heart? Well, we are evidences of it, are we not? It is to bring the dead to life. As we see Abraham engaging in this prayer, it's, it's, it's very easy to, to miss what is happening. Abraham is not changing God's mind. The angels are still on their way. They are visiting the city, both to destroy the city and also to remove the righteous. What was Abraham's great concern? His nephew Lot and his family at the least. Lot and his family are, are the ones that Abraham is most likely 
interceding for. And God has determined to save these people from that city. He's determined to, to save those, that, those people and destroy that city. So then is God changing, or is Abraham changing God's mind? No. Does what Abraham prays change or impact what God has willed to do? No. God was already going to do, listen to this, what Abraham was asking him to do. What does, what does Abraham want? Save Lot, please, and his family. Abraham is exploring the will of God. And at the same time, God is already acting in accordance to his sovereign plan. Abraham doesn't know this. He's exploring. He's, he's, he's wondering, God, is this within your will? And God is acting. And at the same time, almost seemingly answering Abraham's prayer. It's what it means to pray in accordance to God's will. God is agreeing to something that he's already determined. But it does not stop Abraham from asking. We cannot manipulate God, can we? This is not an example of how we can pester God. To, to get him to do what we, what we want him to do. This is not an example of that. And we may think, well, what about that verse in, in, in the parables where the, the woman is, is pleading all night with the unrighteous judge until the unrighteous judge finally says, okay, okay, enough, enough. I'll give you what you want because you're driving me crazy. No. Because Jesus concludes that God's not like that. God is not like that. Our prayers don't change God's mind. He is not a man or like a man that he should regret or change his mind. But listen to this. At times God does decree to use our prayers. And in this case he listens and agrees because it was already within God's sovereign plan that he would hear Abraham's prayer and grant his request that was already in accordance with what God had determined to do. We will learn that God does not spare the city. So God doesn't listen to Abraham's prayer, but he does save the righteous. He does destroy the city. But listen to this. God does something better than what Abraham asked for. How many was Abraham hoping to save? At least one. At least one save my nephew Lot. He was hoping that God would spare the city for ten. His hope was for Lot. How many righteous were in the city? The Bible declares Lot was righteous and none other. But Lot is not destroyed along with the wicked. The Lord rescues Lot from the destruction that the wicked will endure. God saves Lot. And you know what? He does him a little bit more than that. And he saves Lot's family. The angels are so intent on saving Lot who is resisting, that the Bible says in the next chapter, the angels grab their hands and say, let's go. I can't do nothing until y'all get out of here. Let's go. 
Really, that's what's basically what they're talking. God had a better plan than what Abraham had. And this is why we don't try to talk God into something. He knows what he's doing. His ways are higher than our ways. And they are better than we could ever imagine. But now, as we close with this, we need a mediator. We need someone to pray for us. We need someone to save us from the judgment and and justice and righteousness of God. We need someone to stand between the justice and righteousness of God and wicked sinners. We need someone who has a claim to hear that that he has. We need someone who, who God will listen to. And isn't it interesting? That not even this man, who was considered to be the friend of God, not even this man's intercession was able to save this city from the awful judgment of God. This is his friend. Surely he would listen to his his friend. And not even his friend could save the city. Not even his friend's intercession could save the city from God's judgment. And it is, it is striking for this reason. In Ezekiel chapter 16, the people of God, the Bible says, have sunken lower. Lower than Sodom and Gomorrah. They have sunken lower. And yet God has promised to save them. How? How could God promise to save a people that have sunken lower than Sodom and Gomorrah? And the answer is this. While Abraham's intercession cannot atone for the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. Even though he is the friend of God, Christ's intercession can atone for the sins of God's people because he is the son of God. Abraham cannot intercede for the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah because Abraham cannot bear the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he will not bear the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. But the Lord Jesus Christ can save those who have sunken, even we, lower than Sodom and Gomorrah. Because he has become or borne the divine judgment and penalty of God's wrath. It will be but sulfur and, and, and ash and, and fire and brimstone that fall upon Sodom and Gomorrah. But it was the unmixed, the undiluted wrath of God that fell upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He and he alone has earned the right to stand before God and he lives today ever making intercession for you, his people. And there is not one thing, not one thing, not one thing that Christ will pray that God will not answer. Read John 17. See the prayer of the high priest of God who prays on behalf of his people. I pray that you keep them. I pray that you protect them. And will God not answer the prayers of his Christ? Yes, he will. Not only does this passage point us to the assurance that God can and will keep his promise, but Abraham's intercessory dialogue with God points us beyond what Abraham can do. To what our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, has done for his people. When Jesus prays for us, 
that we would be spared, that we would receive grace. So it is. And so it shall be. Were we not the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah? Were we not the wicked? And did God not send not angels, but his son to go into that city, to go into the depths of our darkness, to rip open our tombs, to grab us by our hands and lift us up from death to life? To God be the glory for his mercy and for his grace. Let us pray.